Hi, welcome to Life Struggles. On this show, we interview or just chat with people who have mental and physical health issues, addictions, relationship problems, and anything else that life may bring you as a struggle. We give hope and our own advice to others from our own achievements. Our goal is for you not to feel alone in your struggle. Our guests range from actors, authors, professionals, and ordinary people like me. At the end of this podcast, if you would please hit our bell, that little bell up there, so that you will be notified of any new episodes that drop. And also, if you would give us a rating, we would deeply appreciate it. And now, please help me in welcoming our next guest. Hi, we have Dr. Rob back with us again today, and we so much appreciate him coming. He's going to be answering some questions that I had emailed to me, and then we'll uh, go into whatever else he wants to give some updated, maybe, information. As I understand, we're learning new things every day, right? So there may be some new things that he can add from our last episode. So One of the ladies that wrote in to me wasn't quite clear. Her mother um, has been drinking since she was 17. She's now 70. She's like goes into extreme binges. Um, Now she doesn't even know who she is. There's, I don't, does it cause brain damage is one of the things that uh, because she keeps getting these MRIs for her brain and, and it's not coming up with like dementia or any of that stuff. It's just showing parts of the brain that's damaged. And it's yeah, not- definitely. I mean, the, one of the myths around uh, is that alcohol kills brain cells. That That's not true. That's just not a myth. Uh, but what happens is if you're drinking for that long, first of all, the question I would ask her is, is the alcoholism in the family? And if there isn't, then she's just been drinking and abusing alcohol all her life. And if there is, then obviously she's played a part in the alcoholism part. Uh, but uh, Korsakoff disease um, is probably what she's suffering from. That's What's the last Korsakoff's disease. Cause of cause? K-O-R-S-A-K-O-F-F, Wernerkoff's disease. It's when alcohol um, destroys the brain uh, and once that happens in full flight, then there's no coming back from that. So that's the danger. You see, they also call it wet brain disease. Wet brain. Yes. So, so it's the same thing. That's just the uh, medical term for it. Um, so yeah, once you get there, you start losing your memory. You don't know who you are. You don't know who other people are, and you're just in that state for the rest of your life, unfortunately. So I would get that checked out without a doubt. Just because somebody drinks every day for many, many years, does not make them an alcoholic. I think we discussed this further we on did. the last program. We did, and I've talked with her quite a bit. Um, there's a lot, a lot of alcoholism in the family. Uh, there's a lot of addiction, period, in the family. Um, 
she's not willing to stop. Um, but she's in the hospital about every month for about two weeks because her liver is failing and her kidneys are failing and she's dehydrated because she just stays drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely. She, the, the, the main I, cause of, the main cause of that is uh, the one across disease is B, uh, vitamin B1 and thiamine is what we don't get enough of. And that takes us into another direction. So no, she's not going to stop. Maybe she's happy doing what she does and no one's going to make her stop. She's quite adamant, it sounds like. And rightly so. I think if I was that age, I wouldn't stop either. But her words were, I, I don't have any reason to. Her husband left her. She, you know, she's 70 years old. She doesn't want to start all over again. Yeah. So to her, she basically she's killing herself. Yeah, she definitely is. Definitely is. Without what she doesn't realize is how painful it's going to be. I know. Well, what happens in the end if you drink, continue drinking is every single organ start, every single organ starts to shut down one by one if she's in hospital. It's a very painful death. It is not the easiest or the quickest way to go by far. And of course, at the end of the day, there's also all them loved ones around her that will suffer probably worse than she will. But uh, I don't think in that occasion there's anything you can do about that. Right. She's just trying to understand it because to her... And I tried to explain it to her. So I thought maybe if you could explain it better, maybe she could get some understanding. Maybe she won't. But to this daughter, um, she doesn't understand why as sick as her mother gets that she wouldn't want to quit. And, and she also feels like she has the option to quit. Now, to me, and this is just what I've learned, so you can absolutely correct me on it, but initially she chose to drink. And then I believe the addiction takes over and she's not making that, the addiction is making choices for her down the road. Not that you can't ever stop if you want to, and I'm not saying that, but the daughter is saying, you know, She's choosing that over us kids. hundred percent. And the reason why she's doing that, there's, you said there is alcoholism in the family, which is good. I think there's a, there's a combination here of two things. First of all, we don't have a choice. Once we take alcohol into our body, it sets off this uh, craving, crazy phenomenon of alcoholism. So um, the question I'd be asking is, she said she won't stop. The question is, can she stop? And I would suggest um, no, she can't. There's two parts of the brain, uh, three if you count the amygdala, that's telling her to drink and she's never going to stop. And that's just the, the way alcoholism works. Alcohol has 1% to do with alcohol. And I'll, I'll just remind the daughter of that. And when you get to that, that stage of alcoholic through drinking, then she's made her mind up not to stop. All we can do is love her, but she doesn't have a choice. And she's, she's never had a choice once we cross over from heavy drinking to alcohol drinking, alcoholically drinking, uh, which is chronic alcoholism. The choice is gone. Unless and we're you talking seek help. 50 years of it. Yeah, 50, 50 years. years yeah, N never going to stop. Not unless something crazy happens, believe me. But uh, maybe this will scare her. Not as if you can scare an alcoholic to sober, but maybe this well, will scare her. Part of her liver is already gone. Yeah, like, she's, and she's, and there's no replacing or anything because of her age and because she has actually told the doctors, "I'm not going to quit drinking." Yeah, 
not a lot to do there, unfortunately. God bless her. Right. God bless her. So is there any is there anything you can say to the children that she's now stopped them from being able to come to the hospital to see her, to get her information? <clears throat> and they're really hurting. Is there anything we can say to them to help? 100%. Definitely. Uh, you have to understand alcoholism to understand what's going on with mom. But there is a program called the ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, ACA. And it, there's a book, but there's also online classes that you can attend. And it's probably the best trauma book that I have ever read in 35 years of studying the brain. So Adult Child of Alcoholics, it's a, red, it's a yellow book. And there's also a workbook if you want to do, and that's the red book. But jump on uh, Amazon. It's like $10, best $10 you've ever spent. And then go through your trauma when you was a child. And then you'll have a better understanding of where mom is right now and what really you can or can't do about it. Okay. Well, thank you for answering that. I'm sure she will much appreciate it. And do you know... Uh, is the um, ACA online, is that free? Yes, it's free. It's, it's more like, it's a 12-step meeting, but it's, but it's not 12 steps. It's like a free meeting. Anybody can attend. Uh, they probably collect um, donations, I guess. I don't really know. Okay. But yeah, and there are thousands across the world. And just going to Google and ACA meetings, and all of them will pop up different times and stuff. Okay. And I'll search it forward to. Okay. So do we have any updates since we last talked? What updates have you been on anything specifically or trauma related or? Yes. Not really, you know, I mean, I think that the, the investigation and the studying of trauma regarding alcoholics and addicts is very slow. And the reason why it's very slow is because there's no finances, no money in, in recovery as such, unless you want a treatment center, I can give you a pill. So we're still studying. There's some great stuff that's happening uh, brain spotting is a great tool if, if you're a therapist to continue your your training and expand what you do as a therapist you have to be a at least a therapist though to to understand that and then what i'd like to ask if you guys listening is if you do come across some trauma that's happening is contact me email me and if i don't know i will find out and come back to you because trauma is so deep we've only touched 5% of it. And I think I may have touched 10% of it, but there's still a lot more that we don't understand. There's a lot of things that happen uh, at birth or child in the first between zero and seven that we do not remember as we go into our adult years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. We, we can't put the two together. They don't make sense. But the real answer is they are connected. And once and we go back it, and find out, then we know exactly what's going on. And isn't it true that sometimes the trauma is so bad that they, they can't even remember it on purpose, like their, their own brain? 100%. What right. happens is it's stored in the subconscious brain. Now, everything we feel, see, hear, touch, everything, all them things we do as a human being are stored in the subconscious brain. There's nothing that's lost. Don't let anybody tell you any different, guys, at home. Every single image can be brought back through good therapy and you can deal with that stuff. That's the stuff that's killing people because they don't put the two together. They just don't. My energy as an alcoholic 
even as a kid at the age of nine, when I started drinking, always attracts the alcoholic girl or they always attract the girl with trauma from dad or mom or, or living in poverty. And that connection, it works on the mirroring part of the brain. So I do want to meet somebody who has all them symptoms and all that chaos and all that trauma that she's not worked on. My mirroring part of the brain picks up on that. And I am then attracted to her. There's a lot. I mean, you probably hear yourself, well, I don't, I don't really like her, but she's amazing to hang around with. That's because you have lots in common that's not been discussed yet. Some of that can be bad. Some of that can be good. Okay. Okay. Um, is there, do you feel like there's more coming out now than ever? Yeah, definitely. I've got to keep saying 100% because mm -hmm. you keep hitting the nail on the head and I'm so excited that you get it. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I think it's just that when, when we started the research some 20 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, as a whole, I mean, not just me, but thousands of others, uh, we're putting more effort into it. We're understanding, you know, what is going on and what isn't going on because we only looked at trauma about 30, 40 years ago when people, well, make more than that, sorry, 60, 70 years ago, when people were coming back from, from the Second World War and, and all these crazy things were happening to our people and they were dying back in England and nobody knew why. And then all of a sudden, you know, some of these crazy psychiatrists and psychologists started doing research. And we find out that everything we do today is based on past trauma and that everybody has trauma. And it doesn't have to be a plane crash. It sure. doesn't have to be a car. You know, it could be as small as... A two words, stupid yep. idiot, something yep. like that. Your dad says to you, joking, you'll take that on board and it'll run with you for most of your life. You know, there was something that you quoted. It was your own quote in our last episode. <coughs> and I tried to write it down and I didn't get it in time. And I believe it was about if you don't nurture a child is child abuse oh, yeah. something like that anything, anything less than nurturing as a child is related to child abuse and you really need as, as parents because no by the way nobody's to blame here there's no handbook on how to not to traumatize your children there's just not so no one's blaming but it gives you a good idea of how trauma how deep trauma is you know, when you're leaving a child, when dad's going to work and he's never home, abandonment issues, you know, when mom, I don't know, takes something, does something, gets strung in front of you. It, it, it's just crazy how we don't have to spoil kids, but we have to nurture them into life. And there's not a lot of families in the world, not just US, that are doing that because mom and dad's busy. Most people who live in a, in a mortgaged house, both parents need to work. Otherwise, you can't afford it. There's houses around there that start at a million. How the hell are you going to afford that as a 20-something-year-old? So what happens is mom and dad work and we're left with a babysitter. You know, that is traumatizing for us. And to talk that through, to nurture that through, the child that understands that it's not mom and daddy going away, you know, for most of the day, but that they need to work, you know, we're providing for us make special events really special, all have dinner together, cuddle, you know, everything we need to do as, as, as mom and dad. You know, and that, I, I wanted to talk a little bit on that too, because I've done so many podcasts and there's been so many 
people that say theirs began at fear of abandonment because both their parents worked and they came home to their parents not home yet, having to get their own snacks. And, you know, then it was they ate, ate dinner, did their homework. You know, dad sat in the chair and started watching TV. Mom was, you know, helping the others with their baths and so on and so forth. And they just didn't feel like they got the attention that they needed. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like that's kind of a, I don't know. I came from a family. My, my mom and dad both worked there, you know, and there was six kids in the family. Yeah. Five kids in the family. One of them passed away. Um, but I never felt, I mean, it's not like we were six and seven and eight years old. Like some of these people are saying, <laughs> you know, 12, 13, where we were old enough and there was food waiting for us. And it was a daily thing. You come home, we'd had to do our homework. You know, mom and dad came home. We, we helped with cooking, dishes, the whole nine yards went up, you know, finished our homework, took our baths. That was our day during the week. Yeah. Why is that traumatizing? That wasn't traumatizing to me. That was normal to me. Well, we talked at the table. I mean, yeah. Interesting. You should say it was normal. It was uh, normal for me. For you. Yeah. And that's what we find is when we go out into the big wide world, we find out that, that in some cases that's not normal. You know, some of the rich right. people can afford to stay at home. So it's that balance. But um, once you get to like between the age of 10 and 14, that's, that's uh, an area where most people call well, the grown up children. They're almost adults that the mind is still developing and abandonment, and this is where we can't, we can't put the two together. The correlation between both is, is mind-blowing, is because of that, somewhere in your life, you've had relationship problems. Somewhere in your life, uh, you're scared of, of being on your own. Am I too old to marry? Am I getting too old? That comes from your childhood trauma. And it could be a, a vast array of other things, yeah. but it's definitely, definitely there. Okay. You know, definitely there. Okay. Even if you don't remember it. Even more if you don't remember <laughs> it. You don't pay much attention until <clears throat> you start to grow. And all of a sudden, you, let's say, for instance, you're very clingy to, to, a, to a boyfriend. You're, you're very clingy. That's because of the abandonment as a child. If you say things like, no, never leave me. Come on, we'll be in this relationship forever. Quick to get married because you want to belong to somebody or feel belonging. You know, there's four chemicals every single day that needs to happen in the brain for us to be happy and free of our own thoughts. One of them is serotonin. And the serotonin is uh, social belonging. And the oxytocin is the human bonding. They call it the cuddle hormone. Once we don't get them to chemicals and we get them in later life, then the abandonment starts kicking in. It's like, I never felt that before. I've always felt as if I should be on my own. I always felt I didn't fit in. I always say the wrong thing. All goes back to childhood trauma. And once you point it out, you can rectify that immediately with the way you talk, act, feel through therapy. You, you can be back on track with that because we don't have to fall for the first guy or, or, or girl we meet. You know, we don't have to have that security. And the other thing we try and do is we try and make people happy. The problem is it's not up to us to make anybody happy. We need to make ourselves happy. They need to make themselves happy. And you join together as a couple that's really happy, happy with oneself, you know, comfortable in their own skin, 
that will attract somebody who's very confident, comfortable in their own skin. See how, see how we, we start to match the mirror part of the brain again. Mm -hmm. But if you don't do the trauma work, you'll, 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 you'll attract that guy that's had trauma in his past that will affect the relationship. Wow. Okay. I had another person, a male say, okay, so I listened to everything twice and there was talk about a lot of therapy and I've been going to a therapist for years and still have not found the root of the problem. Could hypnotose be an hypnotized? <clears throat> if you're going to a therapist more than three sessions and you don't see a change, you, change. You're, you're with the wrong therapist. Simple That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. If, if, you, if you were to come to our patients, when they come along, we tell them from the first session, one hour first session, you'll see a change. If you don't, we are not for you. For right. other people in the industry, you know, take people's money, they'll waste time. You know, let's get to the point, get to the actual causes and conditions <clears throat> that's making you. So if we go to a normal therapist that's just had a college experience or a course, we're not getting the real deal. We have to get somebody who's kind of been through what you're suffering from to understand what we're suffering from. You can't, you can't be taught in schools and colleges about this, some of you have to go through. That's what makes us different as a company is we get to the root cause straight away because there is a root cause. And subconsciously, you know there's a root cause. So let's get down to it. And, and that's extraction from day one is what's needed because every day that's trauma is being carried <clears throat> is every day that you could do something crazy to yourself as in self-sabotage for whatever reason. So traditional therapy, and traditional treatment, the model is broken. You have to seek out somebody who really is an A-lister or a superstar in their field. Because I've been, to, I've been to lots of therapy where everyone asks how I feel. And if I take a bath and a long walk, then the problem is trauma kills you. And if you Do don't- you as a therapist out, still have a therapist that you talk to? I do, yes. I do. And, I, and let me, to just, me, I think it's a good idea for everybody. I don't care if you're having, <laughs> I think we all probably have some kind of mental issues going on anyway, all of us. I don't know how we couldn't, but just for somebody to vent to, you know what I'm saying? Uh, once a month, you know, yeah, maybe yeah, not even yeah. that much, but we have, we have patients that are still with us after 10 years. Yeah. You know, they say once a month and we get on, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk for an hour and you're gonna listen and I'm gonna go. Fine. That's brilliant. You know, I see, and it's where the, the connection again, I see a 79-year-old ex-hippie that was strung out on heroin and alcohol for 30 something years. That's who I see. She curses worse than me, you know, <laughs> she's Flipping at all, she's amazing, but she gets down. She calls me on my stuff. She calls me on my shit. She doesn't let me get away. You sat with a the therapist and he's right. Oh yeah, okay. Well, that, yeah. Well, we'll try better next time. No, not not try better next time. Get it done before you come and see me. I need you to see this, 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 this. That's progress. But you know, sitting back and saying, "Tell me how you feel," or you know, "We'll we'll cover that next month." No, you need another therapist. And I'm going to get loads of letters and things through it's like listen therapists doctors whoever you are out there here's the deal do what we do 
Offer a money back guarantee if it doesn't work from the first session. Offer a money back guarantee if they drink and use again. Offer a money back. Yeah. No, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. So you must be careful who you go to, guys. And the doctor as well. Question the doctor. Just because he's a medical doctor doesn't mean he's God. You know, if you, here's, here's what happens, okay? So I get depressed, okay? I feel down. My, my parents or brother or sister, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. So I go to a medical doctor and I'm telling him that I'm feeling down and depressed. The reason why I'm down and depressed is because of lack of serotonin, which is one of the four chemicals. So what he does, he prescribes the latest or the most popular uh, antidepressant. And he'll give you that. So the SSI is just a slow release serotonin. That's all it is. So a few weeks or days, whenever it starts to kick in, I start to feel normal again. But nobody's asking the question, why was it pressed in the first place? Why is it my serotonin being produced in my brain to make sure that I am not depressed? So, so now- how is it produced? Now, well, I'll tell you in a second. Now- we're attached to, to pills. We're attached to medication for the rest of our life to make us feel good. You know, it, it shouldn't be working like that. But that's Serotonin, what I again, all the time. Let's, yeah. let's just give you a pill. <laughs> Serotonin is a social belonging, so we can't isolate. Serotonin is plenty of sunshine, so we, we can't keep indoors all the time. It's this, as communication animals, we, are, we need to be in, in couples. We need to have social belonging. And what happens to the depressed person is they're not getting that. So they fall, lack of serotonin, into a depression. So rather than add an outside source, which is there is an allergic reaction to every single thing foreign that we put into our body. The pills are foreign. So there is a side effect to that. Why aren't we going back and saying, hey, why am I not, why am I not producing enough of that? Why don't we go there first? Because... I'll tell you why the pharmaceuticals rule this country and many I, other countries. I so agree. I so agree. <laughs> so if they can't give you a pill, they don't want to know. Okay. And I wanted to go back on, this is just about me. So I don't remember if we talked about how I started out getting my degree in psychology. Um, and I thought I was going to save the world. Now, from the time I was a small child, I wanted to help people, save people. And it wasn't about alcohol or drugs. I mean, I wanted to be a nurse. <coughs> and and I, my Barbie dolls had nurse dresses on and all that kind of stuff. I just always wanted to help people. I don't know if that's a problem or not, but that's just what I, what I, what I wanted to do. Okay, so I get my degree in psychology. I have a lot of addiction in my family. Um, I grew up in it. I was around it all the time. I knew that it was from genes and I was terrified of it. Terrified. I watched people's lives destroyed, marriages, children, going to jail, going to prison, the whole nine yards. Okay. Um, I chose not to even put myself out there because I was mm. that afraid of it, mm. but I experienced all of it. So when I graduated, I felt like I knew both sides. Mm -hmm. Only I didn't take the drugs to know the feeling they gave, but mm -hmm. I certainly was told by family members and stuff what the drugs did for them or the alcohol did for them. And I was around their behaviors. That doesn't make me qualified, does it? No. 
Definitely not. Definitely not. But most people think it would, you know, it's just that you need to, you need to, we need to feel what's going on. If we have a disease, if we're depressed, if we're just, if we shout a lot, if we're angry, there's something going on that's not been addressed, <clears throat> you know, and, 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 and sometimes, look, I'm an old guy. Yeah, I'm 61. I call it old because I joke about it. I'm not really. I'm like a 30-year-old, but I'm 61 <laughs> years old. I was going to say, you don't, yeah. I have a lot of experience in, in what I do. I have a lot of, you know, if I was going to put my experience on the streets and, and people I'm working with or college, which is the most valuable, it'll be working with people on the streets is what I turn to because I've been through it. I know exactly where people are coming from. A lot of our work now is coming away from alcohol and drugs and getting into people that wants to do something with life, depressed people, people who don't know their identity. That's something lost nowadays we don't know. When COVID struck, everybody was told, first of all, to isolate. One of the worst things a human being can do. Secondly, they were told every time you go out, you've got to wear a mask so we lose our identity. You can't tell who anybody is with a baseball cap and a map. You might walk past your best friend. You don't know about that. So we lost our identity as a person, as a human being. That, in years to come, will cause all sorts of problems that nobody will put against the mask. The mask, what's right. that got to do with anything? It's like we a lose lot of people identity. are saying they, they feel like they've lost a lot of freedom, too. A yeah. Freedom. Definitely. So, you know, that sense of freedom, that sense of belonging, that sense of, mm-hmm. you know, cuddling human, human uh, behavior with another person. It's, 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 it's phenomenal. It's needed. The intimacy, not sex, but intimacy right. with another person. I'm sure. intimate with uh, my best friend who's a girl. We talk about anything. We hug, you know, we kiss. I mean, you know, when you go and buy give each other a little kiss, sure. that stuff you need. And if you don't, then there's going to be problems. Yeah, I did a cute little reel on, uh, remember that that song Jolene that Dolly Parton sang? Yes. Uh, she actually made a movie, Jolene. And if you watch it, it's it's really good. But I did a little reel on it. and But my whole point of it was that if you don't have a space, mm. then nobody can get in. Yes, definitely. And that was one of the things that um, I wanted to stress upon people about keeping their relationships and what they needed to do to um, not have that space so somebody else can step in. Because if there's no space, right, they can't step in. Correct. And that's on both sides, obviously. So the most of the time, you can't heal yourself. Right. You know, well, I'll do this on my own. It's, it's impossible. You can't do that. Right. It's humanly impossible to do that. Right. So, okay. Um, did you really answer my question about the, the hypnosis, though? Because I did tell Oh, you. not the hypnosis. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I tried it once, uh, <clears throat> uh, probably 18, 19, and uh, I was drunk the week after. So I don't <laughs> know enough. It's definitely not my field. So, it doesn't sound like it worked. <laughs> uh, well, not for me, but I, I've heard that people have great results. But for me, you know, if hypnotherapy works and therapy doesn't, that, I know where I'm going. Yeah, hypnotherapy every time. So definitely, they have to find somebody that specializes that has been in some type of addiction. Is that what you're saying? Um, well, not necessarily addiction. If I'm depressed because I've lost a child, then you need to find a therapist 
who's lost a child. And right, that's most people that's had a trauma in their life, loss of children, you know, husband being killed. They, they usually have a lot of education around, right. I don't mean school education. So what happens to about 40, 50% is they become therapists because they've so, so call around. If you're, if you're depressed because you went to Afghanistan, then find a therapist that went to Afghanistan that you can talk to. That's the answer. You know, I'll go to here because it's cheap my insurance. Yeah, you, you've got to go to somebody with experience. They don't know. I always say this shocking statement. How does a therapist, normal therapist, know how I feel when I say I'll stab you in the face 20 odd times if you don't let me get to that bottle of vodka behind you? If you don't understand why I do that, how the hell can you treat me? Because you just right. say, oh, that's crazy talk. Well, that's your fact in my field. That's normal talk. Okay. So I could probably help the other side then. Um, like yeah. Al-Anon. <laughs> like being Al-Anon. Yes. yes. And listen, you've got a lot of experience as a whole. You can help anybody with anything because you, you are kind of highly educated uh, around people's feelings. You are highly educated around how you felt and how you for care. So you, you're kind of bordering on the carer and the rescuer, which goes back to your childhood. You've been left alone. I don't know. You, you've had the middle child or the eldest, I think. I'm not sure. I was a middle child. Middle child. There you go. So you wanted to rescue and look after everybody when mom and dad wasn't there. That's a great role. And as we grow older, we see the same. But you might get somebody coming to you and say, hey, Christy, what do you know? I mean, I'm, you know, I've been abandoned at home. I never, you can say, sit down, let me talk to you. What do you know about this? It's like the, the, the life skills that we pick up going through life gives you an abundant amount of experience and permission to work with these people. You don't have to be a licensed therapist, you know, but you have to have knowledge. And with your wide knowledge of all your ex life experiences, you can sit down and, and you can save a lot of people. Definitely. Okay. Thank you. I just know that it wasn't wasn't my field <laughs> to talk to the court ordered alcohol and drug addict. <clears throat> yeah, wasn't yeah. me. Like I tried. Yeah. yeah, and thankfully, thankfully, I'm the one that said, "Get me out of this. I can't help them." Yeah, good. I I, I knew that right away. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as they said, "You don't you don't know what we're going through." Yes. And. Yeah. Have I seen it? Yes. Have, have I been told by my, you know, whatever? Yes. But have I experienced it? No. Yeah. So big difference. Yeah. And, and, and I could tell it was a big difference right then and there because they did, they weren't going to trust me anything I said. So I was the wrong person for that. <laughs> but I didn't feel bad about it. <laughs> no. Well, the other thing is as well that you have, and a lot of people don't is, you know, your lane, you know, which lane you're in. And, and I'm the same now. If somebody comes with us, uh, let's say food, for instance, I even though I've lost 90 pounds over the last seven months, but if somebody comes and says, hey, I'm struggling with a diet, I'm overweight, that's not my arena. I can try and change their mind, but rather than try and do that, I'd rather pass him on to somebody who's competent and guaranteed to have the best results. And, and that is very important in this industry. Most people will take it on with no experience, think they can wing it. You can't, you really can't. So it's really awesome that we know our boundaries and we know which lane that we're in. I'm not right. crossing over to alcohol and drugs. I don't know anything about it. I mean, I've, I've been told, but I've never experienced that. I actually, crazy as this may seem, somebody came to me about 
I don't know, back in the 80s and said, I want to quit smoking. I started smoking for two weeks because did, I didn't know just, how it see felt what it was like. to see what it was like and have the experience. Then I could identify why this, this uh, cigarettes was the most powerful thing in the world to them. And we got around, and a lot of it's breath work. When, when the person, this is what I found in my study, when the person that worked, for instance, or the person getting up in the morning, they go outside and they go, oh, it's the first cigarette, and they go, oh, and they feel yeah. better instantly. They go, oh, I couldn't wait for that. 90% of that what's just happened is breath. When we take oxygen into our body properly, because we only use 25% of our lung capacity, most people live in hypoxia, which is lack of oxygen. When we take it fully in, then we, our brain comes to life and we feel better. And the rest is the tobacco, but that breath work. So a good friend of mine, Barry, uh, Gary Brecker, who's a, who's a, biolo- a, biolo- a biologist, um, he, he was telling me, and this is just new information, that no disease, no ailment, nothing in the body that's created cancer, whatever it is, bone, whatever it is, cannot grow when oxygen is present it can only grow when you're in the hypoxic state which means that if you change your breathing in the morning like 20 times before you start you're going to live another two to five years longer believe it or not and he studied this yep oh yeah that's something we should practice every single day i i always carry uh, my oxygen boost that I really? take 25 times a day. So does all my patients, so does all my staff. It's like, it will, it will prolong your life because no diseases or ailments can grow any further because oxygen is present. It's the craziest thing ever. That is I'm, crazy. I know, and people, people spend $10,000 an hour to see this guy because he's like me. He knows his arena and he knows what's doing. He will take blood tests of you and he will tell you to one or two months when you're going to die, if you continue this lifestyle. Then he changes it and puts you on all these raw materials to eat and stuff like that. And you extend your life by 10, 15, 20 years. It's a fact. But so one what of kind them of is doctor is he, what, what, what kind of doctor is he? He's not a doctor. He's a microbiologist. Microbiologist. <laughs> yeah. So you I, know, think he, I seem uh, to. I feel like people give and I'm not taken away from MDs, okay? But that's what they are. They don't specialize in anything in particular. And yet I hear so many people blame a just an MD because they didn't do the right thing. Well, for one, they're so busy with patients and the pharmaceutical companies come in and they just leave all this stuff and say, this is for this, this is for that. And the doctor doesn't even have time to study that medication to see what it really does or the side effects or anything. And then just says, Oh, here, this is out for this. That drives me nuts. My, my son has a very highly um, allergy to peanuts. Um, like he can't even go through the testing of the, um, the shot. They, they've come out with he he can't even do that because as soon as the needle when the allergist test him just touches his skin he doesn't even have to insert any of it it just blows up he has seven seconds to live of ingestion 
of peanuts. Okay. She prescribes him this medication for, it's supposed to be an antibiotic and just, you know, whatever. Thankfully for our, my pharmacist, when, when, when I dropped it off, he said, you know, we'll give you a call when it's ready. Um, called me and he said, so this inside of it says, if you're allergic to peanuts, do not take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if I didn't have a pharmacist like that? But see, I do read stuff, so that's good. But so I want to suggest to everybody, if they're going to take prescriptions, please make sure that you read everything yourself too. About 95% of people that come to us with a heroin or crack cocaine problem started in the doctor's office. So I did some studying into this. When I first came here, I went to 10 doctors. Nine of them gave me uh, Adderall and gave me other pain-killing drugs without even lifting the head from the pad. Now, that's horrible, okay? But here's the deal. All they have to do is say, hey, do you have any alcoholism in your family? Especially if you've seen their family, Hey, listen, I'm not going to put you on this. I'm going to put you on an alternative. And the reason they can't go into that too much is because every doctor has about three minutes with every patient. They're getting that crammed at the moment that they're having physician's assistants now see the patient. So you kind of in the early days, you can blame the doctor. I mean, going back to uh, 10, 20 years ago, but right now you're going to be given, like you said, on the hit list. So we're going to, this is the latest drug or this is, this works, the medical reps come around and give them loads of samples. So they give these samples out. As soon as Adderall touches the lips, they're hooked. So it's just, it's a, it needs an overhaul, but never go into a doctor and take his work. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. I, I can tell you horror stories that, that are yep. still true today. Me too. So I always, and some people say, don't, you know, you're, you're going to drive yourself crazy by doing that. But see, I'm not one of those people that gets panicky over something. I just get my research done. And yes. if that doesn't look like that's something that I need to put in my body, then I don't. And I now, do you know, do you know somebody who's really good, like you just said, the people that are really good are pharmacists, because our pharmacists, uh, they'll, you know, somebody, will, I'll get something or Janet will get something that doesn't really mix or cannot, it probably doesn't mix with something else she's taking, sure. but the doctor just dishes it out and off she goes. But you take it to our pharmacist and go, are you still taking X medication? They go, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to prescribe this for you. And you won't give her a med. So she go back to the doctor and you have a different prescription that won't clash. They haven't, the doctor haven't got time to do that. I'm sure most of them are in their set ways. I think the new generation of doctors is going to change that. Uh, but yeah, pharmacist is where it's at. If you want to know what's what's wrong with you and it's not life-threatening, go see a pharmacist. They'll take 20 minutes to explain to you, you know, what you can take. It's phenomenal. Yeah, that's why I get upset when people like get so mad because they have to wait in line because a pharmacist is talking to somebody. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like this is important information <coughs> you to somebody. You know, wouldn't you want to get that same? People are just amazing to me. Um, you know what? You said that little thing about smoking, and I wanted to tell you about that because I do have addiction genes in me, obviously. Okay. Um, I was what I'm going to call a social smoker. Yeah. I absolutely did not enjoy it. I never bought cigarettes. What I did was anytime somebody came over 
that smoked and I never allowed it in my house, but if we'd sit outside and then say, you know, here, have one with me, I would. <laughs> I, I couldn't understand how people could go out in the freezing cold on a break every hour. Yeah. I couldn't understand in the rain. I couldn't understand how first thing in the morning, they're like, oh, I'm going to, I got to have my cigarette. I, I could never understand any of that. My mother died of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Okay. When she was dying, she said to me, Christy, please don't smoke. She didn't smoke for years, but the last two years of her life, she smoked very heavily and it was with or because of, and that she made that choice, obviously, but that's what calmed her down. She thought, which I know differently that it really doesn't calm you down. Yeah. Only for a second. Yes. Yes. But, but, you know, she had an addiction, addicted son that was absolutely gone crazy and she was trying to help him and she wasn't the right person and regardless of all that um she got she got lung cancer i i think it came from somewhere else first though i just didn't have them do the autopsy it was just uh, everything was too painful long story short she said to me don't quit smoking okay Mm -hmm. so and that was on her dying bed i don't know about you but i take that seriously (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I said I would. And when I make a promise, I mean that. Otherwise, I'll say I can't promise that. So I thought this is no big deal because I'm not, I could maybe go five, six months not seeing anybody that smoked or whatever. And I never craved a cigarette. Yeah. So I'm like, no biggie. I'm going to quit. My mom asked me to. I don't need to. It's not good for me. I'm going to tell you something that happened to me. Three months after I quit. So what I did was I told the people that smoked not to come around me for a while. The people that I talked to on the phone that smoked, because I could hear them smoking. So I would have them. Yeah. I would say, I'm not going to talk on the phone and I'm not going to have anybody over until I'm through this. Everything's out of me. Okay. And some people were mad at me about that, but I'm like, that's that's the only two, only two reasons why I smoke. So I, got, I need to take those reasons out. Mm. Okay. So I quit, right? Three months later, out of nowhere, I wake up in the middle of the night and I wanted a cigarette out of nowhere. Okay. I'm an adult that I made the choice not to smoke. This is what I did. This is how I know my addiction gene checked in. I actually snuck out of my house very quietly got out of the bed. So my husband didn't hear me, didn't turn on any lights. This is bad. I got in my car. I knew they could hear me started or could possibly wake them up. I put it in neutral and pushed it out of the driveway into the street before I was going to start it. And when I got to that street, I went, what the fuck am I doing? Why do I need to hide this? I don't. That's an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, uh uh-uh, uh, not going to do it. <clears throat> Pulled the car back in, went back in the house. I've not, I can honestly say, I haven't had the craving since. Now, I don't know what that did to my brain. Well, it, it, it sounds like a memory recall. So uh, the sounds brain like can, what? 
memory recall. So okay. what happens is somewhere during that day or the day before, someone in the background, TV, whatever it is, was smoking in your memory during dreams, especially between the hours of about one and five, um, can have that recall. And, and you've probably, you've, it's probably connected to the neural pathways that used to be used while smoking. And that's what happened. And sound mind on the way there, because don't forget, his, his, this, this is the test we've done as well with a drug dealer and a, and a drug addict is we, we asked a few, can we follow you? If you relapse, you know, we're not going to make a big scene. We just want to, you know, see what's happening. So when these uh, drug addicts, God bless them, they're all clean now, by the way, when they uh, relapsed, we were there with them and then we followed them in the car and then we got to the drug dealer and we got the drugs and they took them. The most intoxicating part of all that scenario was the drive to the liquor store, the drive to the store, the drive to get cigarettes, the drive to go to the uh, a drug dealer. That's the most intoxicating part. Once that part is over, if you can literally flick going, wow, what, what am I doing? No, this is not good. You can turn back before you hit that store, which is kind of what you did. But that, that belonging and that social, well, social romance from home to store, that's the intoxicating part. It's like with any drugs, they take the drugs, they don't remember taking it or it doesn't do anything for them just to make them feel normal. It's just that that recall of that journey there because there's nothing like it. Like, it's like you won the lottery, $50 million, mm -hmm. you know, on a scratch card or something. It's that good, the feeling. So I think that's what happened to you. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, it, I was pissed at myself. Mm really pissed at myself that I that it was that bad that I thought I had to hide when I'm an adult if I want to have a cigarette I should be able to have a cigarette right it was the hiding part of it yeah that and then yeah. me going something you know what I don't like something having control of me I want to control myself and that was the other thing this is not going to control me I love it I love it so okay how are we doing? How are we doing are we, on time? Do you have anything to add today? I have 10 minutes. I, I want to fill. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so, so fill it up. <clears throat> so let's talk about trauma for a second and let's talk about um, anything related to that. So the trauma as a whole, you have to remember that most trauma, 99.9% .9 of trauma can be, can be dealt with and cleared up. It's all clearing that uh, psyche part of the brain that... Um, that part of the brain that you can't usually recall from. So we're talking about a subconscious brain. Uh, if you go to a great therapist or doctor or a PhD guy who knows what he's doing, they're going to bring that out. Every single one it brings out. <clears throat> Just like walking down the road and we see, let's say a, a father coming out with his young kid, McDonald's on a Saturday, you know, most of the times they're weekend dads. So that recalls you of thinking when you did that or you messed up and you're not seeing your family, so that, that is always trauma, but we don't recognize that as trauma. So if you're serious about this, guys, make notes, you know, on your iPhone or phone or something, just, you know, make note and you can talk to your phone, make a note of McDonald's, blah, 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 and then leave it. And then when you get home later on the next day, go over that, go over that thought plan, go over the way you felt when it happened. And then ask yourself, have you cleared that part of your life up? Do we, do we owe anybody apologies or do we need to go back and revisit that? Or is it now time to reconnect with that child after you lost him when he was nine? 
but you used to take him to McDonald's. There's a, there's a question why that recall has happened. Right. And when recall happens, some people call it deja vu. When that recall happens, you know that you can address it. Now's the time to address that trauma. And people don't like to call it trauma, but it is. Otherwise, it would have no emotional effects on you whatsoever. Now, nobody likes to be a weekend dad unless you don't see your kids completely. You know, but let's say a normal married couple hate to split up, hate, you know, having 10% access. Of course you do. That's trauma. That's trauma for you. It will affect everything, single thing you do pertaining to parenting or relationships with other people, and especially relationship with kids. So it's really important that we recognize it. It's really important that we recognize our feelings. Somatic experience is, is they call it SE, is something really, it's a good therapy that you can work on. You said SB? SE, somatic experience. Somatic experience. experience. And go and look that up, guys. It's, it's about feeling your own body. It's about feeling your, what's happening to your body. Every, before anybody relapses, your, your, something will happen to your body or you'll get into an argument, some reaction that your body or brain has caused, that's the relapse, not two weeks later when you drink. It's the same thing with trauma. If you feel that, most people say to me, I was going to do this, I had a gut feeling to live, I didn't do it. Oh my God, the gut feeling is so real, you would not believe. It goes back to the tribal days when somebody, one of the tribesmen would get a gut feeling something was wrong or something was right, and they would follow they would follow him. So it was either run or it was stand and fight. You've got to take that first choice whenever you feel. So if you start listening to your body, it will tell you everything you need to know before the event that you don't want to do. Start feeling your body, noticing. Are you, are you being miserable? Are you causing an argument with the boss just for the sake of it? Are you going to storm out and then go drink? It's like, go find out why you started the argument. Go find out why you've got that knot in your stomach, that heaviness on your shoulders, that kick in the chest realize what's going on and, and, and try and deal with it. And it will just save you going through all this mind blowing stuff. Cause people come all the time to me go, I cannot stand this anymore. Why do I keep attracting the girl that always ends up an alcoholic and always ends up in fights with me? So let's go and, let's go back and clear that up. And that well, I've got no, Oh, remember when you were dropped off at your aunties and uncles and they would fight punch fight, it, it, you know, most of the time, mm-hmm. that's where you got that from. So you only feel comfortable in a high toxic relationship, there's always going to end up like that. But that you need to get rid of that mirroring part of the brain that attracts that kind of people. So what we were is not who we are. What right. we do regarding uh, repetition, strengthened, confirms today is who we are. So you can change all that. You have healthier boundaries. You have healthy relationships with everybody. Get them for dopamine. Okay, let's get, the, let's get the dopamine going, the reward system, the pleasure. The Say thank you to you. Say compliment three people. Go around with a smile on the face. There's one of the four chemicals. Endorphins, you know, get on a 20-minute walk. Go to the gym. Do some sort of exercise that the endorphins will start flying around. Right. Serotonin. Serotonin is social belonging we speak about. Get outside in groups. Don't isolate. Go around, meet people. Plenty of sunshine. Go for breath air walks and oxytocin which is that connection of a bonding with another human being. It doesn't have to be sexual. You know, them four chemicals, it's impossible to not be happy. Impossible. My favorite saying is, I don't have bad days, but I do have better days than others. Sure. I'm sat in a house that costs more 
done seven generations of my family, all wages put together doesn't amount to the house I live in. How can I be happy? Right. Uh, so how can we not happy? It's like always remembering, never get complacent. Don't write down the bad stuff in your life. Always write down the good stuff. Stop thinking about the bad stuff or think about the good stuff. There's a solution to every problem. That's why the prefrontal cortex is here in the brain. It has the power, information to solve every single problem you have. The only thing you've got to watch out for, because that's his job, find a solution for this problem as as fast as you possibly can. Some of the first or second answers doesn't have to be right. So that's what I was relapsing for. I thought relapse was my, that was the answer. No, stick around a lot. You know, stick around for a few minutes and ask again. And the prefrontal cortex will tell you. It's his job to tell you. Get out of danger, stop doing this. Don't do this, do this and do this instead. It's like, be free with yourself. Stop always working under pressure. I hate that saying, well, I work best under pressure. No, you don't. You don't do any more work. It's probably less than you would if you wasn't under pressure. The reason why you're under pressure is because you're addicted to chaos and mayhem and deadlines. If you don't get this done by the time I come home, ever thought about that, guys? You're stuck to deadlines. You've got to make sure you get, you're running around and you die 30 years before your time. Yeah, it's just bullshit is what it is. It's it like is. get to know your body. Get to know why someone has a reaction. <clears throat> and you have a reaction when somebody comes in. Get to know. Question everything. Why am I doing this? You you do know that doctor offices are so full right now you can't get in. Mm. Um, so I think, and I have to do studies on it, but um, I went, I started going to my change of life like 10 years ago and about three months of it. And that, that was it. Now, I don't believe in taking hormones. Mm-hmm. We do have the cancer genes in our family and the hormone therapy can cause cancer. So um, I do not take hormones. Okay. So I don't, but, but, you know, we lose our hormones then after. So anyway, just in the past two weeks, any and every little thing has made me cry. Mm. And my husband said to me the other night, what is going on with you? And I said, I think I'm still got some menopause going on there. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you see a doctor and find out? And I said, because I called and the earliest I can get in is December. Crazy. That's the Crazy. earliest. And I mean, that's six months from now, you know? So I said, so I'm researching on what I can do myself yeah. <laughs> to help myself because I can't get in there. And Go I'm to a pharmacist. I can almost guarantee you, and I will yeah. talk to my pharmacist. Yeah. I'm going there today. Um, yeah. I can almost guarantee you by the time that doctor appointments come up, I will know my answer myself. Yes. Yes. So All I right. think people need to do that, but you need to go. Yes, ma'am. What a great hour I spent with you. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you, too. Thank you for answering the questions that I had written down for both people. So they'll get to hear it. And You're doing a good job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Christy. And I hope you enjoyed this, guys, at home. You know where to find me, robkelly.com. And uh, if we can answer anything, I help you anyway. We're going to be here, guys. Don't worry. It's can you good. repeat that? Um, if you need any help, if you need answers, moms and dads and stuff, just jump on our website, R-O-B-B-K-L-O-Y, robkelly.com. And uh, we'll help you. It's not all about money. It's about helping another human being. If we can do that, 
then we will. Don't worry about that. We're here for Thank you. you for We're a family that. company. Thank you for that. Okay. Okay. You have a nice day. Thank you, Christy. You're awesome. Thank you. You are too. And that's another wrap. You know, it just amazes me every time I have somebody new on. I just feel so blessed that I am able to do this and reach out to so many people with all of the life struggles. Please help us by supporting us by taking this episode and all the other episodes that you've listened to. Rate us, share it as much as possible to any and everybody that you know of that it could in some way help because that's what Life Struggles Podcast is all about, helping others with their life struggles. See you next time.